Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray even though Jesus says some very hard things to some people today. If we need to hear them, we pray that we would hear them. Uh, help us to understand what it means to know you, what true spirituality looks like and how we might be right with you, our heavenly father, our maker and our judge. Amen. Well, spiritually speaking, Sydney and I guess to a lesser extent, Australia, I think seems to be one great big paradox. Uh, on the one hand, it feels like the whole movement of society is away from God and away from religion and away from spirituality with attack after attack in the media and in public from the atheists and the secularists trying to squash all religious opinion and discussion on every matter with massive changes to society's views on things like marriage and family, on religious education, on religious freedoms and whether you should be able to be uh, free in your conscience to not do things that you, you disagree with because of your spiritual convictions. But on the other hand, Sydney has never been such a hive of religious activity and fervour. Uh, we host in this city some of the world's biggest spiritual and religious events. People, people come from over the world because of the religion in Sydney. Uh, the Mind, Body, Spirit Festival has grown so large that it's outgrown Darling Harbour and we've had to export it and it's now, we're now running it in three locations around Australia, Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane. Uh, Hillsong Conference has grown to be one of the hottest religious tickets throughout Australasia and some of the Southern Hemisphere. And this year it's gotten so large they've exported it to London and New York. They're running three of them. Uh, Sydney hosted Catholic World Youth Day in 2008. 250,000 people at the final mass. That's more than attend the NRL on any given weekend. Uh, but it's not just the big events, the big religious events. Almost every religious group, sect, denomination, known to humanity, is flourishing in Sydney at the moment. Islam is spreading. Uh, the Australasian headquarters of the Jehovah's Witnesses are just up the hill uh, at Denham Court. Uh, the Nan Tien Temple, given that's not in Sydney, it's, but it's, it really is. <laughs> uh, it's the largest Buddhist temple in the Southern Hemisphere uh, and people come to see it. Holy Family, just up the road, have just opened their new U-Butte, bigger, better, almost cathedral-sized building. Uh, very soon we'll have not one, not two, not three, not four, but five Anglican schools in the MacArthur region. Uh, such is the kind of spiritual outlook. Uh, we've got something like 25 Christian denominations meeting this day within a five, ten minute drive of here. Because uh, there's churches everywhere in every public space. We've got Hinduism and Mormonism in Ingleburn and Minto. Uh, we've, got, we've got it all. We've got it all. It's flourishing. And so we're in this paradox in this community. Religion may be on the nose at the big end of town, but it's very seriously on the agenda in the lives of the citizens, which I think actually makes it pretty easy to talk about religion and faith at the moment. And I know some of you have been just have discussions with uh, Muslim people at work and, and, and Roman Catholics and all kinds of things, and you can just easily talk about it if you're brave enough. People have got questions and they want answers. And maybe you've got your own questions about spirituality, about God, 
about Jesus, about Christianity, about, about what's true and is one true or can they all be true uh, and, and whether it's important, how does it all work? Uh, is all religion equally good? Uh, especially the true point of it in getting you in touch with the divine, in getting you right with God. Is it all the same? And they're really good questions and you may have other questions, you may have even really tough questions about suffering or about homosexuality, about all kinds of things. And I'm really, really glad that you've got the questions. It shows that you're thinking. Uh, that may be why some of you are here today because you've got questions and you want answers. And if any of those things are your questions or you've got other questions, let me say there's answers for all of them. And even if your specific question is not answered today, uh, David and I would love to help you work through whatever it is that's your issue that you have personally. That's our job uh, and, and we'll make time to meet you. And can I say, if you've got questions about anything, take us up on it. Don't die wondering. That's the advice someone gave me about asking girls out when I was a teenager. Don't die wondering because if you never ask her out, it's already a no. Don't die wondering. It's even more important when it comes to God. Not getting together with the girl of your dreams might break your heart for a week. Not getting things straight with God could be a disaster for all eternity. And today in our passage, Jesus makes it crystal clear that not all religion is the same. It is not all equal. In fact, it might be downright dangerous in terms of a relationship with God. Now, we've been working through Mark's gospel here at church over a number of weeks now, last couple of months, trying to come to terms with who Jesus is. And if you've been following along, I wonder if you've noticed that the, the book is actually full of tough questions, very difficult questions. Now, up till now, the toughest questions have all been asked about Jesus, um, asked by the crowds as they've heard him speak, as they've seen him do amazing, uh, even frightening and inexplicable things. Uh, the kind of things like he does at the end of this chapter today, you know, casting out demons, healing people in terrible situations with disease and, and other problems, even raising a dead girl back to life. And they keep asking these questions over, all over the time. Who is it that even the demons obey him? Who is it that even the wind and the waves obey him? Who, who can forgive sins but God alone? You're claiming to. Who can do that? That's not right. Who are you? Who is this man? But today and from here on, Jesus turns the table and from this point on, it's his turn to ask the tough questions. Tough questions that demand an answer. Tough questions which, depending on how you answer them, will show us if you've truly come to terms with him or not. And the first one is almost insulting. It was directed by Jesus to his closest friends, the disciples. A question to people like Peter and James and John who've given up everything to come with him, who've been hanging on his every word, who've been following him around, uh, they've been with him from the start and he turns on him and he says, are you that stupid? Are you that dumb? Are you so dull? If he were a Australian, he might say, you know, are you as thick as two planks? You know? Are you one brick short of a barrel load? You know, not, not normally the way to win people and, and influence them. It's the kind of question you ask when, you, when you're totally frustrated or you're just downright bemused by someone 
like we've seen earlier today in the service or like, you know, when you watch someone microwaving their baked beans, still in the tin. (laughs) Or like when you watch the soccer and some French guy just punches the ball in the penalty box and he's not the goalkeeper and then, you know, a billion people watching goes, I didn't do nothing. (laughs) Are you that dumb? (laughs) Uh, Everyone saw it. Or when you believe, uh, when you asked if you knew that the word gullible has been taken out of the dictionary. You know that? They've taken the word gullible out of the dictionary. They've just banned it from the English language. Do you believe that? (laughs) Are you that dull? (laughs) Uh, Not a question you'd probably expect from the lips of Jesus and certainly not to his closest friends. But the reason he's so strong with them, the reason he asks, are they that thick, is because the very basis of being right with God has just been stripped away in their hearing by his enemies. And then it's been corrected by Jesus. And they haven't understood the difference. You see, there's just been this massive public debate between Jesus and the Pharisees, the the religious do-gooders of Israel, who, much like religious people around the world today or throughout Sydney, followed a very strict code of ritual and personal conduct in order to be right with God. In fact, just about every religious system going, there are things you must do and things you mustn't do, and not just in the moral sphere, but in the, in the religious sphere, in order not to be polluted in God's sight, in order to cleanse you. Uh, so that you're not polluted with spiritual pollution. And, and I guess it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Wouldn't, wouldn't God expect us to show how devoted we are to him or to prove our love for him, to show him how serious we are about following him and not just one of the crowd? I mean, after all, isn't that what religion's all about? Proving yourself to God. You know, checking off the, the list to make sure he's pleased with you. Uh, For Muslims, it involves, amongst other things, uh, praying five times a day facing towards Mecca. And if you don't do it, you're in trouble. Uh, Fasting during the month of Ramadan. Uh, Ritual washing of your hands and feet uh, for worship. Uh, The toughest rule of all, not eating bacon. (laughs) Uh, You've got to be serious about God if you refuse that. Um, Devout Hindus, they they perform daily chores, such as worshipping at dawn after bathing usually at a family shrine, typically includes things like lighting a lamp, offering food there before the images of the deities, um, reciting religious scripts, meditation, chanting mantras. Uh, Cows are strictly off-limits as food. Uh, In fact, they are to be adored, but not for the taste. Um, It's amazing how, how food features so heavily in religion. Even in Christian circles, there are those who would say that there are religious rituals that you must perform, not just a good performance, you must perform in order to be right before God, that you be pure and clean, things you must do to stop the spiritual pollution marring your standing with God, Uh, not eating fish on Fridays, going to the confessional, taking communion every week uh, as, as a necessary thing, In fact, all the rites of life, baptism and having the last rites and all those kind of things. And and yet it's exactly the kind of teacher that Jesus challenges here 
and which landed him in so much trouble. In the midst of a a very large crowd who've come because of all these miracles and things that are happening, um, this large crowd, the Pharisees, who were generally the religious businessmen, they weren't um, professional religious people like David and myself, you know, they... Uh, they weren't paid for it. They, they were generally well-to-do businessmen who were very religious, kind of like the Gideons uh, or Bill Gates or uh, Lord Baden-Powell. You think of that kind of upstanding moral, um, you know, Christian of the day. Uh, and they, they pushed through to the front of the crowd with some of their clergy friends. Uh, they'd roped in the teachers of the law, the religious experts. And together, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law confronted Jesus in verse Five there, you see. Why don't your disciples, your followers, live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? In fact, Mark's already explained in the first four verses what what these uh, groups expected every Jew to be doing. Uh, Ceremonial washing, uh, not only of the hands, but in fact all pots and pans before a meal. It's not, it's not the cleaning up after a meal. that They had to do washing up as well, like we do. Uh, they didn't have dishwashers. Um, uh, but they had to do a ceremonial washing of all the pots and pans and the plates. Everything had to be ceremonially cleaned, lest you be corrupted in your spirit by eating something that's touched something unclean. It's defiled. It wasn't anything to do with germs or any reason that your mum and dad might have told you to wash your hands before dinner. It was a religious ritual. And it proved your devotion to God. Well, what's Jesus going to do about it? They've come, they've confronted him. Maybe they thought he'd take the disciples aside and give them a lecture on proper religious practice. Maybe they thought he'd just pull his head in and go away. That's what they hoped. They certainly hoped that the crowd would stop listening to Jesus. But what does Jesus do? Well, he turns on them and issues a stinging rebuke, just absolutely hammers them. Verse 6, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, and it's in the passage that we had read from the Old Testament, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is in vain. Their teachings are merely the teachings of men. You've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. It's it's a full-on assault. You couldn't be more insulting. Uh, Again, it's not something the average Australian necessarily knows or appreciates about Jesus. Uh, The common perception of Jesus is of someone soft, someone with flowing locks and pale skin. Uh, that make him out to be a bit effeminate, you know, like our our beautiful glass windows, you know. Ah, isn't he lovely? <laughs> gentle, Jesus, meek and mild. And, and he was gentle at times, particularly with the weak and the struggling. But most of the time, he was spoke with power and authority and people came away either amazed by him or frightened of him or angry with him. They didn't go away going, oh, isn't he beautiful? I just want to cuddle him. <laughs> and he denounced the public religious authorities in the strongest of terms, hypocrites, deniers of God. 
That's not a light thing to say to these well-regarded, well-respected, moral, uprightly, strictly religious men who, who made sure that they did everything that was required or they thought was required. It's a scandal what Jesus is saying. It's the kind of thing that you'd get sued for defamation these days. But Jesus went for it and not just in private but in front of the crowds. He, 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 de- he decried them in front of everyone. In the public square, everyone's flocked to Jesus and so it's a major public embarrassment. Everyone is there. And you wonder, what, what is it that's got Jesus so worked up about? I mean, is it a harmless question that they've asked? And wasn't it a genuine, innocent question that really deserved a thoughtful, well-reasoned, rational, kind response? I mean, Jesus could have just explained it, right? Weren't they merely pointing out something that maybe, you know, these poor, ignorant Israelites could do some help with in their religion. Actually, no. And there's at least two reasons that Jesus knows that it's not genuine. They're not there to help. Two reasons that, in fact, they're absolutely full of rubbish and they're religious hypocrites. Only one of which Jesus is going to bring up now. Reason number one, the one that Jesus brings up to smash them in front of the crowd to prove his point that they are hypocrites, is that he knows that their so-called religious rules are really only self-interested. They're made up and they're there to impress other people, not God. Uh, Designed to help people, you know, go, wow, you're so amazing in your devotion. And he gives a stinging example to prove it. It's just one of many he could have used, but this is the one he used. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God. So God's actually given commands, but you set them aside in order to observe your own traditions. You make up stuff. For Moses said, here's the example, honour your father and mother. That's a good thing to do. In fact, it's a right thing to do. Paul will say later, if you don't honour your father and mother and you don't look after your elderly, ageing relatives, you're worse than an unbeliever. You're scum. Now, And Moses also said anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. It's that serious in God's eyes. Very serious commands in the Old Testament from God uh, that get repeated in the New Testament, but they managed to wriggle out of them. How did they do it? Well, you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is korban, that is a gift devoted to God then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down and you do many things like that. Now, it's a very simple example and, and, and it looks really impressive. You know, how religious it sounds. I'm really sorry, mum and dad. I know you need that hip replacement. I know you need to move into a nursing home and you can't afford either of them. But my nest egg, I'm really sorry, I I accidentally devoted it to God. So my superannuation off limits to you. Uh, Sucks to be you. (laughs) Because I'm worshipping God. Uh, But they're really just justifying hoarding their own wealth in the name of God. They they really are hypocrites. They were never going to give it away. It's pretty convenient, isn't it, when you use your religion to justify getting rich or to justify why the poor people are poor 
and not caring for others. Pretty convenient. But there's a second reason which Jesus doesn't bring up here, which proves that they're absolutely two-faced, hypocritical liars. And that's because when they came to ask their question, it wasn't an innocent question at all that they'd asked because they'd come looking to trap Jesus. How do I know that? How does Jesus know that? Because right back in Mark chapter 3, after a series of showdowns between Jesus and the Pharisees, what had they gone to do? They found their arch-political rivals, the Herodians, and together they began to plot how to kill Jesus. They had murder in their hearts. They'd been looking for a way to trip him up and get him killed legally so they don't have to have his blood on their hands. They've got murder in their hearts. They're not interested in the disciples' spiritual well-being. They just want Jesus dead. It's not innocent at all. And so having taken these guys on, Jesus gets the crowd to come a little bit closer to him um, because he's going to give a pronouncement. He's going to declare to them a principle that they must know and that we must accept. Listen to me, he says. Understand this. This is so important. This is very important. I want you not only to hear it, but to fix it in your hearts and in your minds. And you must not walk away from church today having heard anything if you've not heard this. This is, this is it. And what he's about to say, I hope you see, is, is an absolutely monumental new thought to them. And it's going to strike a devastating blow at all of the religion that they're used to. And it might even challenge you. Listen and understand. It's not difficult to understand. It's actually self-evident. But it's going to come as the opposite of everything they have ever heard. And maybe it will come as the opposite of everything you've ever heard. And so it's hard to accept. It's in verse 15. You see it there? You read it? Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. It's a simple statement. It isn't what goes into you that pollutes you. It's what comes out of you that pollutes you. He's saying defilement is an inside matter. It's not an outside matter. You see, the Pharisees had come along and said, how dare you eat food without going through the proper ceremonial cleansing? You eat with defiled hands and therefore you defile the food and then you eat it and you defile yourself. You fail the ritual, you fail God. Jesus says, you cannot be made unclean in God's sight by things from outside. Pollution, defilement, is not a physical issue, it's a spiritual one. It's not a ritual matter, it's a moral one. And so in that one statement, Jesus set himself in absolute diametric opposition to the religion of the Pharisees and the entire religious system of the Jews 
Uh, and he set himself in absolute diametric opposition to every other religious system before or since, which says that ritual, ceremony and performance are necessary to make you right before God, pure, undefiled, clean. And, and for the people there, that was just unbelievable. Even amongst the disciples, it would have created instant apoplexy. They'd just be floored by it. They couldn't handle it. Even the disciples who, who'd been with Jesus all these last few months, who'd been flying around, listening to everything, seeing everything he's done, even they don't get it. So locked in to that way of thinking of their family, of their friends, of the religious systems of the day, so locked into the idea of performance-based religion, they, they, they think they can't have heard Jesus right. That doesn't make any sense. And let me say, it can be very difficult for us to break through from thinking in those terms. Even today, no matter who you talk to, people think that being right with God, going to heaven, call it what you will, has all got to do with achievement. It's got to do with performance. It's got to do with earning God's favour. Sydney is extremely religious despite the politics and the media, but, but most of it is actually the kind of religion that Jesus is denouncing. And I saw it a few years ago uh, when I was at uni. We had um, some flyers printed uh, for an evangelistic rally saying, um, bad people go to heaven, good people go to hell. Right? The printer thought we made a mistake. And so, on behalf of the Christian group, changed it, to corrected it to good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. Had to send it back, say, no, 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 we, we got it right the first time. He's like, no, 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 you made a mistake, let me show it to you. No, we've paid for something and we want it the way it is, thank you. Okay, all right, if you don't understand Christianity, you say, <laughs> be it on your own heads. <laughs> Just because that's the way people think, isn't it? You earn your way to God. You have to prove yourself to him. And so the disciples, they can't handle it. They, they take Jesus aside. Verse 17, after he left the crowd, they entered the house. His disciples came to ask him about this. Are you, what? What are you talking about, Jesus? It's, and it's not that they couldn't understand. It's that they couldn't accept it. And so Jesus just kind of, boom, lets them have it. Are you that thick? Are you so stupid? Are you that dull? Why does Jesus think they're thick by asking about it? I've got three reasons. One, because they should have been with him long enough to know that everything he's been teaching is completely incompatible with ritual-based religion. It's nothing new that he's teaching them. Two, because even the Old Testament, which the Jewish authorities said that they stood by, but they're actually denying by their own tradition, actually says over and over again that being right with God is a matter of the heart. And third, and most importantly, because the principle is so just obviously true both in terms of outside things not affecting the inner reality, but also in terms of our real problem before God. And that's what Jesus is going to go on and drill into them. And so let's hear his explanation. First thing, outside things cannot and will not make you unclean before God. 
It is not outside in. Verse 18. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but it goes where? It goes into their stomach, of which I have a big one. (laughs) And then it goes out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. What Jesus is saying is obviously true. You, You cannot be defiled before God by what you eat and not doing ritual washing or anything else like that. If you grew up with that kind of thinking, if you still have that kind of thinking, you've got to stop. You cannot be defiled by what goes into your mouth because it goes through the body's normal elimination process. And you think about it. What, what is food? What is it? It's just pre-digested sewage. That's all it is. You think you go to a fancy restaurant? It's just pre-digested sewage. And it... And if your religion is based on what you eat or don't eat, well, you can imagine what Jesus thinks about your religion. That's why he's going to start to break all the, the social rules of the Jews in the second half of the chapter and begin to relate to and care for non-Jews like the Syrophoenician woman. He's not really insulting her. He's not calling her a dog, right? He's testing her. And then he goes around the Tyre and Sidon, which are non-Jewish cities, and to the Decapolis, and he heals the, the, the deaf-mute man there because all of a sudden he's turning the world on its head. But second, and, and here Jesus is really going to lead us to a whopping great realisation that we've got to come to terms with. What's on the inside is a very serious problem. Verse 20. He went on, what comes out of a man is what defiles him. For it's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, even folly, just being stupid. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. The cesspool, friends, it's in here. It's in your heart. You're not polluted by what you pump in. You're polluted by what you're pumping out. And what he's saying is that this isn't some minor issue or a thing that only some people have inside them jesus says that's everyone i mean you look at that list and tell me you've never had an evil thought never i mean i certainly have i do every day even had a couple this morning (laughs) and which of us hasn't had greed and malice and just want to hurt someone or envy or lust or hatred, bitterness. That, that's just me, isn't it? That's, that's you. And what it proves is that there is an awful reality about my heart. It's dark, it's spiritually polluted, and it, and it puts me on the outer when it comes to God. It, it rips us apart from him. 
And you might say, no, 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 but I've kept all of God's laws. In fact, a man's going to do it in a couple of chapters' time. I've kept all God's laws. I haven't murdered anyone. I, I, I've never committed adultery. I haven't. I, I've kept all the Ten Commandments. How can God fault me? Really? Really, you've kept them all, even the ten, even though there's a whole lot more than that. Commandment number one. You've always worshipped only God and never had your attention diverted to worship anything else, ever. Really? You've never stolen anything. Not even a pen from work. Or a marble from the supermarket when you're a kid down the Ugg boot. No, I'm not admitting to anything. <coughs> You've never lied. You're honestly going to tell us that. And even if most of the time, most of us don't physically do those things, I, I know you've thought about it. And it may only be the fear of not getting away with it that stopped you. And it's all from this dark heart that's inside us. It's the human problem. It's, it's what Jesus is identifying here. He's, he's putting the finger on the spiritual pulse of each and every one of us. And the real sadness is that with this problem, we can't do anything about it ourselves. We cannot change our hearts. I'm sure we could have surgery and rip this old beating thing that pumps blood around our body and even get someone else's put in instead you may have even had that done. I don't know. Although, you know, for that to happen, it's going to cost the other person their life if you're going to get their heart. But that's not the heart that Jesus refers to. The heart is the inner self, the mind, the attitude, the motive, the desire. That's, that's the heart that needs a transplant. And, and it's not within our power to do it ourselves. You can't give yourself heart surgery it's not my, I can't do it, not you, not anybody. We simply cannot fix the problem in here and make ourselves pure in God's sight. Not with food, not with ritual, not with anything. We need someone else to give us a heart transplant. Where can I get this new heart? Well, Jesus has actually already answered that way back in Mark 2. Who can forgive sin? Because that's the issue that matters, that we be forgiven. And the Pharisees who were there on that occasion too, they were right, only God can forgive sin, but they were wrong because they didn't think Jesus was God. And yet Jesus has that power himself, the right and the ability to forgive you and make you clean in God's sight. He is not some guru, some spiritual, religious, moral guide teaching you how to earn God's favour. He is God and he's come to wipe the slate clean. He's come to burn out the sewage that's in here and to start again with you. Ceremony won't free us. Pilgrimage to Sydney won't help. Abstaining from certain foods is never going to cleanse us. It's something that God has to do. It's something God has to give us and do in us and to us and for us if we're to have a right standing with him, a relationship with him, really be undefiled. And, and the mind-blowing truth of the matter is that God has done something to make it possible. In fact, he's done everything to make it possible. Mind you, just like a normal heart transplant means someone else has to die for you to live, same with this one. It does cost another life for God to do that. The life 
of Jesus Christ himself, which he's come to give freely as a ransom for many. And we'll see that in due course as we continue in Mark. But the question that Jesus wants to confront you with today, he wants to confront me with today, and it is just as confronting for me as it is for you. Can you see that you need him to do it? Can you see that the inside is unclean and that without this radical surgery, all we can expect is condemnation from God? Can can you see that you need him? Or are you still so dull that you think you could impress God on your own with token outward forms? That will not work. It cannot work. Don't be so stupid as these people here would ever think that it could work. You need him to come into your life. You need him to change you. You need him to give you his love and his forgiveness and mercy, which he's offering free to anyone. Will you come to him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the stern mercy of Jesus that he would confront us with the horrible truth about ourselves and the horrible truth about religion. That performance cannot save us. That ritual can't affect the heart. And that really within we are evil and you need to fix us. You need to cleanse us. We thank you for the warning that Jesus gives. We thank you for the mercy and the love, even more that he gave his life in order to do it for us and to us. We entrust ourselves into your hands. Clean us. Give us that relationship with you, that, that purity that we cannot get ourselves. We thank you for your love and mercy in Jesus. Amen.